You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Businesses Influencer Marketing Podcast with your hosts, Jamie Lieberman and Danielle Liss. Each week, we will help you unlock the secrets of influencer marketing through interviews with leading professionals and tips and tricks to help you scale your business. Sit back, grab a coffee, and let's talk all things influencer marketing. Welcome to the Business Ease Influencer Marketing Podcast. This is Jamie. And this is Danielle. And this is episode five, where we will be talking all about influencer contracts. Well, I love this topic. I don't know about you, Danielle, but we are going to be talking about all the important provisions that you need to know when you're reading an, a contract that you either get from a brand or an agency or one that you're going to be giving to them if you need to provide one yourself. And very important. We don't like to give everybody legalese, so we're going to make sure that we translate that and make this very easy to understand. I saw that your son likes candy corn. Oh. It actually made me really, really happy. Why you got to bring that up? It was such a betrayal. Oh, I love ho- I love Halloween. I'm going to I'm going to say it. I'm excited about it. It's October. Halloween is like my happy time. And so when I saw candy corn and I saw it in your Facebook feed, I was like, that ki- that kid's my kid. He's mine. He likes black licorice and candy corn. And he's obsessed with Halloween. The instructions that we are getting about his costume for this year, he wants to be a T-Rex, but it can't be just a regular T-Rex. The one, the green one that you can find everywhere has to be a red T-Rex and he wants it to have feathers. So it's a little bit, it's getting complicated. Well, there's like some studies that say they may have had feathers and, or at least when they were young, they may have had feathers. So he's been obsessed like, how, how does your three-year-old know about these studies? I know everything about dinosaurs right now. There's a lot of space in my brain that should probably be taken up by other things that is taken up with dinosaurs. <laughs> We've picked Halloween costumes, which I'm pretty excited about. Although my biggest fear is that come Halloween, they're both going to be like, nope. And then <laughs> what are they, they going to be this year? Well, they're going to go naked if they say no. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the big one is going to be someone from Lego Ninjago, obviously, because that's huge. And the little one is a Ninja Turtle. Um, so I had to take away the sword because <laughs> things went badly there. So we're going to be a weaponless Ninja Turtle, <laughs> which is better for everybody. <laughs> I understand. I understand. And you love Halloween, but I am not super into it. I was never the kid who was into it. I really like candy, like deep in my soul, love candy, but can't get into the, I don't like costumes. It seems. I like the scary stuff. There's a, no, no, I, I, too. I love it. There's a block, a number of blocks that they go all out in my town where I live. And the decorations are 
unbelievable and they're dark and I, I just love that I'm just oh. I'm gonna say it. it is so fun it's so cool and my kids aren't afraid of it so we I go don't. head first into it there's a lot of decapitated heads and I, I feel <laughs> literally I go, head first <laughs> literally head first with the decapitated heads and I I it's so much fun I love I love Halloween Oh, that's... I bet you most of the people that listen love Halloween. I'm going to put it out there. Oh, my God. Well, we'll talk about it in the Facebook group. Good we'll idea. Get... Okay. Well, let's talk about what we are going to get into today. We're not going to just be talking about Halloween. We promise. We're going to talk about contracts today, and we are super excited for this topic. But right now, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Hashtag Legal. Hashtag Legal is a full-service law firm specializing in influencer marketing, social media, and service professionals. We offer a wide range of services, contract review and drafting, trademark and copyright registration and monitoring, FTC advice and disclosures, and full site reviews, including drafting site terms and conditions and privacy policies. Check us out at www.hashtag-legal.com. Welcome back. We are so excited to get into all things influencer marketing contracts. Our very first piece of advice that we are going to start with is always get it in writing. If you are entering into any kind of business transaction with somebody else, every single time you must get it in writing. And our first caveat is if you don't understand contracts, you're a little afraid of them, you can always hire a lawyer to review them for you. We always recommend that you just don't sign them. You need to review them because you need to make sure what your rights are and what the other party's rights are. Hey, Jamie. Yes. I know a really good lawyer. You do? I know too. It's us. Ah, we are so good. <laughs> <laughs> I agree 100%. Please don't simply sign something and hope for the best. Make sure you have someone look it over or if there's a particular clause you don't understand, definitely have somebody review it. I think the number two, are we on number two? I don't number two. Okay. The number two thing that I would say is don't be afraid to negotiate your contracts. And this is really for everyone in the influencer marketing space. This is for brands, networks, influencers, everyone. Don't be afraid to negotiate. If you get a contract and there's one thing that you don't like in it, don't look at it and say, oh, the rest of it's okay. I'll go ahead and sign it. This is fine. This will never come up. This actually boggles my mind, Danielle, because mm -hmm. when back when I was practicing um, uh, in doing a different kind of practice, it was just a given that it was like a jumping off point, the first version of a contract. Contracts get assumed that they'll be forth. Um, and I, I never understand when people are nervous about it because a, a, a deal is almost always, it's not going to go bad because you ask for a change. It may I think end that up in their heads. I think that sometimes people are, you know, a little bit afraid that if I don't sign it as is, they're going to pick someone else. I'm going to lose the deal and people become very fear motivated. So I think that, that what we want to do is try to ease that fear and say, please do not be afraid to negotiate. If anything, when you're going to negotiate, think about how it could potentially impact your pricing. That's one of the things that we often will tell people is, okay, they came back and they wanted to change X, Y, or Z. Does that technically cost more money from you? Go back and talk about if you want that, 
here's how much it'll cost. And that's, we'll give that as a little caveat for our brands and networks who are listening. Be aware of what you're asking for. Make sure you understand what's in your company's contracts and think about how that impacts the influencer's pricing. Do you need to have all of the rights to everything created? Do you need to have a likeness release that goes on forever and ever royalty free? Think about what those things mean and make sure that you're asking for what you need so that you're not paying for things that you don't need. I've actually, I've never seen a contract go bad because someone asked for a change. No. Ever, ever in my whole time practicing. Sometimes the parties can't come to an agreement, but I've never seen an influencer ask for a change and a brand say, well, this is off the table. You're done. Contract canceled. Ever. Um, So I I just, I, I understand the hesitation, but we're here to tell you that you don't need to be afraid of that. For sure. Let's let's talk about the specific provisions. Let's, okay. let's get into it. This is contracts. This is our this is our first love. I think that the one that comes up the most in Facebook groups is usually the provision that goes bad most frequently, and mm-hmm. that is payment terms. What do you mm-hmm. see go bad? What do you think? What do people? I think what goes bad, and I think people. First of all, people aren't going into contracts. There, that's big thing number one that goes yes. bad. But I think that. What tends to happen is people don't get specific enough. When you are talking about payments, you need to know the amount isn't the only important thing. You need to know how you're being paid, whether an invoice is required, what is it that you do that triggers getting paid, and the timing. I think that the timing. timing is probably the thing that most people get hung up on. So let's say you've got an Like something that everybody's going to learn throughout the duration of this podcast is I can't do math like on the fly, (laughs) like at all. So I'm always going to use round numbers. So let's say you're getting paid $1,000 for a post and all your contract says is you'll be paid $1,000. That tells you really nothing. And I've seen people who are like, well, I did it and a week has passed. I haven't gotten my payment yet. And first question that I ask is, what does your contract say? And if they got one, they'll say, oh, it says net 30 or net 60. What does that mean? And essentially, so you know, when you're reading your contracts, that is the amount of time that the company gets to pay you. So it could take 30 days from the time of the invoice. It could take 60 days from the time of the invoice. So please make sure you know that term because I think a lot of times people get like really stressed thinking that they're not going to be paid by a brand when in actuality, it's really just processing with an AR department or something along those lines. And all of those pieces are negotiable. How much you're getting paid, when you're getting paid. And the when is a big one. We've seen contracts as long as net 120. That's (laughs) four months typically from the time the blog post goes live. That's a really long time to wait for your money. And so I've seen that negotiated. I saw one that came through with net 180. Oh, you just won. Six, I've never seen six that. months. And I stopped and I said, this cannot be real. And we wow. went back and we got it down to net 30. Yeah. I mean, think about that. You just, that's negotiation. That's an intangible mm-hmm. negotiable point because waiting six months is crazy. That's just too long. That's a really, yeah. really long time. Especially yeah. one thing that we really want to point out is If you are in a multi-month contract, like let's say you're in a brand ambassadorship that's going to be multiple posts over a long period of time, make sure it's specific how that's going to be broken down. So let's say, again, easy math, you're doing 10 posts 
for $10,000, that's essentially going to work out to $1,000 per post. You need to know how that works. Are you getting paid $10,000 at the end of your ambassadorship or are you receiving $1,000 each time you make a post? Just know what those terms are so that A, you can negotiate it or B, you can make plans within your own business to accommodate when you're going to be paid and when you'll have that income coming in. And just make sure it's all written down. It can be written in plain, simple English. It doesn't have to be an extensive provision. You just need to sort of know the who, what, where, when, how, and why of payment. Um, and as long as you sort of know that, then you'll know what to expect and you know the pieces that you could potentially negotiate if you need to. Exactly. Okay, Jamie, what's our next provision? Termination. This, oh. is, a, this is a big one, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. There are lots of different ways that parties can end a contract. Sometimes you can have what's called just an at-will termination. I know, legalese, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But that just means anybody can terminate the contract or end it at any time. The important thing in that is to look at how you terminate a contract. Typically, you have to give the other party, if you are, say you're um, a brand and you no longer want to work with that influencer, typically you would need to give them 30 days written notice. And the contract should say how you give that notice. Sometimes email is okay. Sometimes you actually have to send a letter. But it's never, I don't think I've ever seen a contract where a phone call is enough. And so in order to, right? No, that wouldn't make sense because Mm -mm. you you want that record. So when when you get that contract and you're reading it for the first time, look at the termination provision to see how you terminate. The other type of termination provision is a termination for what's called a breach. That means somebody violated something in the contract. Um, And typically, when you can only terminate for a breach, that means you just can't end it for no reason. You have to end it for a reason that's clearly spelled out in the contract. And the important thing to know when you have a breach type of termination provision is that you need to give the other party, typically, not always, but usually you have to give them notice that they've done something wrong and the opportunity to fix it. All of that should be spelled out in your termination provision. And the language you may see there in that provision is talking about curing. Yes. And you'll see things about default. So a breach, a default, and giving them the opportunity to cure that, which is essentially saying they have to be able to get a chance to fix it. Yes. And that's for fairness, because you, you know, one of the party who's breaching may not realize that they're breaching. And so it's just a more fair way to handle the ending of a contract if you're doing it because one party's at fault. The other last important thing that you want to look at in your termination provision is if the contract is ended early, how does payment work? The person who's doing the work should at least get, and here's another legal term you're going to hear, a pro rata payment. And that just means a partial payment for the amount of work that you've done. Typically how it's done where you just get paid for all the work you've done up until termination and then the contract would end. And, and all I think of- it's important, make sure that you've got something in there because way too frequently we'll see people say, I was in a contract with a brand. They took my draft. After the draft, they said there was a change in direction from the program and they ended it. What happens now? I did all the work except for post and promote. Do I get anything? So that's where it's really important that the contract isn't silent, that you have something specified there. And this is also negotiable. I've seen 
at will termination provisions, the one where anybody can terminate, change to termination on breach for the exact reason that Danielle just said. If it's a very small um, singular project, one blog post, you turn in your draft, it's only fair that they shouldn't be able to just cancel that and not pay you anything. So a lot of times those types of contracts will have uh, termination provisions that are only for a breach or some kind of, um, you know, you're in violation of something in the agreement. Tell us about our next one, Danielle. Where are we? We are going to talk about confidentiality. Most is- contracts have a confidentiality provision. That is How what- long are they- these yeah. provisions are so long. <laughs> They're like paragraphs upon paragraphs upon paragraphs. And sometimes they're two lines. <laughs> and here's the thing, folks. Way too often, we have seen in Facebook groups or people will talk to us at conferences, wherever people are, you know, kind of hanging out and talking about the business, people really get into the details of their contracts. We're talking payments, we're talking details, you name it, they're talking about it. Most of the time, should they be? Probably no. So when it comes to confidentiality, know what you can and can't talk about. It is not worth it to have a brand come back to you and say you breached your contract by talking about it. Know what's covered. And it may be simply that you can't talk about how much you're paid. It may be that you can't talk about absolutely anything. It's particularly important that if there is any type of embargo in place that you know when you can start talking and that you do not talk beforehand. And when we, when we say embargo, that is basically a provision that is there to ensure that there is no discussion of a product. Um, this happens a lot for movie reviews. Just know what you can and can't talk about. It is not worth it to breach those provisions. I, I actually have a great example of this one. I was just asked to speak at a conference next year. Yay. Very Yay. excited. Very excited. But, and I signed a speaker agreement because this is an incredibly professional conference and I was very excited to see their speaker agreement. But in it, there was a provision that said, I'm not allowed to tell anyone that I am a speaker at this conference until a certain time. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to shoot off an excited email to everybody, but I can't. Um, So it was really important that I read that and understood that um, because I am limited until they give me the okay. Come on, Uh, Jamie. We'll keep it a secret. Just tell us. I can't. I can't. See, I read all the fine print and that's why. Fine, fine. So that's all you have to do is say, I am prohibited by my contract. I can't discuss those details. Yeah, I do see, uh, I, like Danielle said, um, I do see a lot of the issues with payment in particular. And a lot of times the brands or agencies do want to keep that um, a secret. They don't necessarily want to keep it confidential. Um, So it's really important that you make sure you can tell others what it is that you're sharing, even in a private Facebook group, because nothing is private. <laughs> okay, Jamie, let's talk about our next one. This this is a really big one. This is one that I, I see a ton of people talking about online, and I'm so happy that people are talking about it. And that is ownership of the deliverables. Oh, gosh, probably the most important thing I think that we're starting to see right now. And What I like more about this is that people are really starting to understand it, which thrills me because for a long time, I think people just signed whatever. That's exactly right. People are pushing back because this is one of the biggest areas of negotiation. Who owns what you're doing? If you own the end product, let's, for example, we're going to use a blog post. You're writing a blog post that's going live on your site and you're going to create an original recipe. That's a lot of work. If you own that, 
and it can stay on your site and live on your site and you could do with it what you want. But the company that you're writing it for is just essentially what's called licensing it, which means you're giving them a right to use it in some way. That would cost prob- the the client less than if you created something for them to own and you could never use it or do anything with it again. And so it's really important for you to look at the ownership and to see whether or not you, the content creator, own your work or if your client owns the work. And that is going to be called a work for hire. So work for hire, those are the buzzwords that you're going to see, essentially means that the client owns all of the work. And the other important thing that you sort of want to take a look at is if you own the work, but you're licensing it, you're giving them some right to do something, what can they do? Can they just display it or can they make other works out of it? And so it's really important you look very carefully and see what your client is going to be able to do with the work that you're creating and how long and whether or not they have to give you attribution. You also want to be sure because each of those things costs something extra. So your rights in the content that you're creating um, and, you know, for the brands, the content that you're purchasing, it's really important to know what that's going to cost based on who who owns what. I think one thing that we want to point out, and we're going to get specific here, is in groups, we often get a lot of questions about the tap influence terms. For those who are not familiar, Tap Influence is a software company that is very widely used in the influencer marketing space. They have default terms that you sign up with, and those default terms transfer ownership to the party that you're creating the content for. So keep that in mind. They may have overridden terms that say something different, but if there aren't, you may be giving rights to that content because what we often we'll see is people come back after the fact and say, I did this campaign on tap and now the brand is using my stuff. I'm not getting any credit. What? And they think that it's a surprise, but unfortunately it's, that is a term that they have in their standard sort of usage agreement that if you agree to use their software and to be on there, that you are going to be subject to those terms. So just keep that in mind, particularly as we said, Just know what you're doing in terms of your pricing. Jamie, I have a client who had an amazing story when it came to pricing and her IP ownership. She had a brand come to her and I think that it was for a multi-month campaign for um, multiple blog posts and they offered her, it was high four figures and we, I did contract review. She's one of our legal clients. It said they were going to own the content. We went back and forth because she has told me in the past, I never want them to own the content. I always want to own it. We could license it back for certain things, but I keep ownership. So we made changes to the contract, sent it back to the brand and they responded and they said, no, we have to own it. So the client had a decision to make. Is she willing to do that? She was, but it was going to change the pricing. And it's not a deal she wanted to lose because that was a very, you know, it was a very lucrative campaign for her. So she went back and she said, okay, this is going to impact the pricing. And they said, that's fine. We just need to own it. Tell us what the pricing is. So a four-figure campaign went into a nice five-figure campaign because of the fact that they wanted to keep the ownership. So don't be afraid to ask questions about those ownership provisions and to modify your pricing to reflect it. I love that story because it shows that the brand was really um, understood what it meant for a content creator to 
be selling content and not be able to own it anymore. That's a really big deal. Content creators put their heart and soul into a lot of what they're doing for them to not be able to use it again. Um, it's understandable that all that work, they would, you know, they should be paid for that. So I like that the brand was understanding and most brands are, they get it. Um, I think and I like so. It. I think that we're in a place now where brands are really, they're not looking to just have their name mentioned on 50 random blogs. They are really looking for a relationship with a particular influencer and a connection with that audience. So they, if that's where they want to be, they want to be able to work with the influencer there to make sure that it's going to be a mutually beneficial relationship for everybody involved. I totally agree. All right. Tell us about our next provision. Our next one is exclusivity. And this one comes up a lot. What exclusivity means is, is a brand requesting that an influencer not work with a competitor and be exclusive in a particular category? <laughs> I feel like I want to make a going steady comment here. The, this one always <laughs> makes me laugh so hard because how people define competitor <laughs> is Sometimes, here's the thing. Awesome. Sometimes they don't. Oh, and, I love that one. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's the worst to kind of read through. And you're like, are you just supposed to know everyone they deem a competitor? So this is a good our, piece of advice. Yeah. Our biggest piece of advice here is make sure it is clear and unambiguous. You need to know who they consider a competitor. It can't just say competitor. Yes. This is an example I use all the time. But let's say you have a company that makes a granola bar. And they come to you and they say, we need you to be exclusive across all breakfast products. Folks, I don't know about you, but breakfast in my house is interesting. <laughs> and <laughs> breakfast here may not just mean, you know, your dry cereal and your granola bar. And think about it. Like if you're paleo or any other of the many <laughs> diet plans out there, you may be having a big old steak for breakfast. So make sure you know exactly what they mean. Because if they just mean dry cereal and granola, that should be spelled out. And better yet, if there is a list of brands that they deem to be competitors or a list of products that they deem competitive, get that list. That, make that's, sure. That's really what I want to see. I typically, mm -hmm. when I see those, I want, when I see those provisions, the exclusivity provisions in there, I want to see a list of competitors, not just a category. Because it can be so broad. A category is better than just competitors for sure. Yes. <laughs> but I really do like to see the list. Um, mm -hmm. And the other thing is the amount of time. Oh, goodness, that's yes. really important. Is it during just the duration of your agreement? Is it for five years after those cost different things? And you may exactly. not even want to agree to something like that. I think one that I saw recently wanted exclusivity before the contract started. But here's <laughs> the thing. They were signing it on a particular date and the post was going to go live within a week and they wanted exclusivity for a month beforehand. How? How do you make the math work? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's how. We just had an interesting one where we had a client who was working with a diaper company and the exclusivity they wanted with was all baby products. Oh, like that feels a little broad. And we we were they were really the the really great thing about it is the company was really amenable to making it more narrow. And we did. We other diapering companies and we specifically listed those companies. So it's very much that back and forth. It's very amenable and you just should be able to have those conversations and the brand should understand that. Just make sure ask if you aren't sure if something is considered a competitor 
ask because you don't want to be in a position where you have accepted another campaign and then you're getting a takedown request from company number one because you posted about company number two. I had that happen. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. When I was working for, I worked for, um, with an influencer network long ago. And when I worked with them, we actually had that happen and it was not quite within the, the exclusivity provision, but it was a very long relationship that this influencer had and they didn't want to upset everyone. And it was, it was really awkward. And part of the problem was the exclusivity was not clearly spelled out enough. So it was sort of nobody's fault. (laughs) Um, but it can be really awkward just practically speaking to figure out who, what's going to get taken down. That's so hard. And you just don't want to be in that position. So try to make sure that you have a narrow scope of time and that it's very specific as to what is involved. Okay, Jamie, we are on our last must-have provision. Tell us what it is. This one is an interesting one that I've just, I've actually noticed that we've been seeing a lot more lately. um, Mm -hmm. And that's the likeness and biographical releases. Legally, as I know, that just means that the company wants the ability to use your face and your name. (laughs) And so I've seen that a lot with spokesperson agreements, ambassador agreements. And while they should be asking for your permission because there's a lot of potential liability that a brand can have if they use your face or your picture or your name without your permission, you want to know how they're going to be using it, how long they can use it, and in what capacity. I just had a likeness re- a likeness and biographical release. That's a hard word to say. <laughs> I just had a likeness and biographical release in a contract where the brand wanted to be able to use the party, the the influencer's likeness and their their face and their name in connection with whatever they wanted. Not forever just in connection ever. forever and ever in perpetuity. Royalty free. What that means in perpetuity if you see that that means just forever. Yes, with no money. So they could have just plastered their face anywhere and their name anywhere with relation to anything. And we had a back and forth about that, (laughs) which eventually was narrowed. So I think that that's a really important one. If you are going to be giving permission to use your name, to use your face, to use your pictures, your children as well, if you're doing a campaign with your kids, it's really important that you look at those provisions to see how they can be used and um, currently and how they can be used in the future and what happens when the contract ends. Right. And one way that we often will narrow it. So those buzzwords, like we said, in perpetuity means forever. So we will often ask to have that decreased in time. I think a year is often considered very reasonable. Mm -hmm. Then if you see irrevocable, that means that you can't take away that permission. So we often will say, watch out for that because you just never want to be in a situation where if somebody gets embroiled in a controversy that they're suddenly able to say, well, Jamie endorsed us. She loves us. And you're like, not anymore. Um, and then <laughs> royalty free is really important because royalty free means no money. That means they're not going to pay you in order to use your likeness or your biographical information. So it may be that it's royalty free for the first year, but then after that, they come back to you for a quote. Exactly. Because typically the royalty to use your likeness, your name, your photo will be wrapped up in what they're paying you for whatever it is you're doing for the contract. And that's typically fair because you'll price that out if they're going to be using that. But for them, for a, uh, a client to be using that information in connection with something else, that should be a separate fee. It should not be royalty free like Danielle mentioned. And one other thing that you can often do to limit 
the use is to say that it can only be used in relation to the promotion, to the campaign that you're yes. working on. So that way, let's say you've got a really big company and let's say Target, because Target, it, let's, it's a favorite. It's, it's a personal <laughs> favorite of mine. So let's say Target comes to you and they want you to promote the Target baby line and they want a likeness release there. Well, let's say they go into, they decide they're going to do a big promotion for dairy food. This is so random, but sorry, <laughs> it's where it's going. We're totally and, making this up. <laughs> right. But you're vegan, right? So you don't want to be associated with that. So you can say that what they can use it for is only going to be related to the kind of work that you did, not to anything that they come up with in terms of social media marketing. Yep. That's a good one. Those are the most important provisions that we often see come up in influencer marketing contracts. If you have questions about other provisions that you've seen, please come visit us over in the Business Ease HQ, which is businessease.com slash HQ. And we're going to have a thread about Halloween in there. I need to know whether or not other people, like my co-host, think black licorice is delicious. It's so good. Pl fellow lovers of black licorice, <laughs> please give me your support. Because I get a lot of grief around here about my love of both black licorice and candy corn. Ah. I love it. So I need some support, people. Help me out. Tell me you love it. Go to the Businesses HQ. Show me some love. I don't want to hear from anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can come. I'll have a separate thread about how much we don't like it. I oh. am anti black licorice and candy corn. So we can all hang out together. <laughs> that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Business Ease Influencer Marketing Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If you like the podcast, we'd love if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews help new listeners find us. If you have any questions, you can email us at questions at businessease.com. We'd really love to hang out with you in our Facebook group, the Business Ease HQ. To join, visit businessease.com slash HQ. We want to give a big thank you to our producer, Don Jackson of the Raven Media Group, for making us sound so very good. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.